Amen. Well, as I mentioned before, today we will be concluding our service with the Lord's Supper. That'll be our time of invitation. And so uh, if you haven't picked up uh, one of these uh, little Lord's Supper cups with the juice and the bread, make sure you get one of those before the end of our service. We invite uh, everyone who is a professing follower of Jesus Christ to receive the Lord's Supper with us. And that is how we're going to respond to God's Word today. And for today, as I mentioned already, we're going to be looking at John's Gospel, uh, John chapter 20. We're pausing in our study of 1 Samuel for the next couple of weeks uh, as we come into this season where uh, the church around the world will be celebrating the resurrection of Christ. Um, every Lord's Day is Resurrection Sunday for us. We, we talk about the resurrection, but this is the time of year uh, that we remember uh, the events that took place, and we remember uh, the resurrection of Jesus. And so today we're going to look at the first 10 verses of John chapter 20, of the initial response of Mary and the other women, of Peter and John to the empty tomb. Uh, and then next Lord's Day, we're going to look at the latter part of John 20, and we're going to look more at the response to, uh, by the disciples to the empty tomb and to the resurrected Christ. And so for today, we're going to look at these first ten verses and add a reverence for God's word. If you're able to, if you would stand together as I read this passage for us. Uh, you can see there from the heading in this chapter, we are now at the point uh, in the Gospels where Jesus has gone to the cross, uh, he has been buried, and now we will see uh, the glory of the resurrection. Uh, picking up there in chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. If you would pray with me. Father, as we read this passage this morning, help us not to lose the gravity of what we have before us. An empty tomb, a resurrected Christ, everything changes in this moment in salvation history. And so I pray, Lord, that you would do today what only you can do through the power of your Holy Spirit, that, that you would help us to rightly understand the resurrection of Jesus and to rightly respond to the resurrection. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I was looking over some things this week and realized that 
this is now my uh, 11th Easter as your pastor here at Bloomfield Baptist Church. I'm very thankful for that. And as I was thinking back on the last 10 and a half, uh, 11 years, I was thinking of you know, how old my kids were when we got here and how they are now. And something came to mind. I was sharing a story with Sandy. Uh, one of the things that I quickly learned when I came to Bloomfield Baptist Church uh, and, and I apologize if you have to use the bathroom, but you're going to feel really awkward in a moment if you do. Uh, I realized how distracting it is when people get up to use the bathroom. Uh, the way this sanctuary is laid out, you can't escape it. Uh, you have to either walk the aisle or walk right beside me. And I wasn't used to that when I came here because of the way things are set up. I'm very used to it now. Um, but as a result, when my kids were little and when we got here, when I realized that could be so distraction, uh, I took the kids home one day after church and I sat them down and said, listen, uh, I don't have great expectations for you as pastor kids. Uh, you don't have to you know, look any different than everyone else. You need to be followers of Christ. But listen, do not get up and use the bathroom during church. That's my one request of you. Go before the service starts. Don't get up during the service. And please, don't get up when I'm preaching. It's very distracting. And so I thought we had this really good talk. And then the very next Sunday... Uh, I got up to preach, and I was in about the first point, and my family sits right here on the first, second row, and lo and behold, my son Parker gets up right in the middle of the sermon, walks right across the front here, and goes right out that door. And so as I'm looking over my notes, I'm thinking ahead to the conversation after church that day. And I'm thinking of all the things, I'm going to you know, have you, didn't you listen? I told you all these things, what in the world? And so it's just kind of building up in my mind. We get home that afternoon, I sit the kids down, I think, okay, let's go back over this again. And well, I just started digging in, and I'm looking at Parker, I'm saying, I can't believe you did this, I just told you not to do this, I can't believe you did this, and he's trying to interrupt, don't you interrupt me, let me get through this. And as I was done with my rant, he said, Dad, when you got up there, you were coughing, and the guy behind me asked me to go get you some water. And I looked all over, Dad, and I couldn't find water anywhere, and I'm so sorry. And I was like, oh, okay, and immediately changed the subject. I don't know if you've ever had a misunderstanding before, but I'm assuming most of us have. Well, we see a situation, we think one thing, we get all anxious and worked up about it only to find it wasn't what we thought it was. And there's times when we have misunderstandings like that one I had with my son, and then I can share my sermon illustrations. We can laugh them off, we can joke about them. But then there's other misunderstandings that are much more grave. There are other misunderstandings that can have devastating consequences. And as we come to God's word this morning, I don't think there's anything that has a greater, more grave consequence than misunderstanding the gospel, than missing what's being said in this Bible before us this morning that proclaims to us the risen Christ. If we get that wrong, well, that's no laughing matter. That's a grave matter. And so as we come into this season and we, we celebrate the resurrection and, and everybody's getting ready for Easter Sunday and you're, you're getting your Easter outfits and you're having family gatherings and these are all wonderful things to do, I want to make sure we don't miss the point. We don't misunderstand. We don't go by this event in salvation history without truly understanding what's taking place. Because God warns us 
that many will misunderstand. And we read in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now consider that passage for a moment. Jesus is saying there are people that will stand before Him one day. People who called Him Lord. If you read that passage, he talks about people who cast out demons in his name. And he's going to say these people who called him Lord, who did miraculous things in the name of Jesus, they didn't actually know him. They misunderstood. That they missed the gospel. Well, friends, I want to make sure that we don't miss the gospel this morning. And so we're going to take time this week and next week to consider what took place in John 20 because we desperately need to. Because there are many who misunderstand the Scripture who don't understand the Scripture today. I have conversations with people all the time who say to me they're Christians and when I ask them about reading the Scripture, they'll often say, well, I, you know, I don't read the Bible because I just don't understand it. I'll encourage them then to read the Bible and to get in a group with others to read the Bible. And they say, well, I I just don't understand it. And so they're drawn to books that might talk about Jesus, books that might say, well, here's what Jesus said to me, books that are about the faith, but they completely ignore the Scripture in the process. And we need to be careful of this, especially in the church today, because one day we will all stand before God. And on that day, it will be of eternal significance whether we understood the Scriptures and responded rightly to them or not. And so there's three things I want to make sure we understand specifically from these ten verses. And we're going to look at these this morning as we prepare to come to the Lord's table together. The first one is this. We need to understand why Jesus died. We need to understand why Jesus died. As we come to the resurrection in the Gospels, we're reminded that Jesus had spoken of his death many times with his disciples. He was preparing them for it. He was explaining it to them, and yet they still missed it at first and didn't rightly understand. There's at least three times in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus talks about his crucifixion. In Matthew 16, verse 21, we read, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus lays it all out for them. And do you remember how Peter responded? Well, that's never going to happen. And so then Jesus again, the next chapter, Matthew 17, verses 22 and 23. It says, as they were gathered in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him. And he will be raised on the third day. So he says to them clearly, I am going to die, but I'm going to be raised. And you go back to that passage and the disciples' response (laughs) is they were greatly distressed. They seem to just miss what he's saying here. And they're just worried and anxious. And then a few chapters later, Matthew chapter 20, we read, Jesus says, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. He's speaking to the disciples here. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. 
And they will be condemned, they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he'll be raised on the third day. Just think about this for a second. Jesus says it, Peter says it's never going to happen. Jesus says it again, the disciples, they're distressed, they're confused. Now they are physically on their way to Jerusalem. And Jesus says with great detail what's about to happen to him. And do you remember the response there? James and John's mother comes with her sons and asks Jesus if they can reign with him. (laughs) It's like they just can't see or hear or understand what Jesus is saying. They are on the way to Jerusalem. This is right before the triumphal entry. And if you know what happens at that passage, you know the disciples and others, they're looking for Jesus to reign here and now. They're not listening to what he's saying. They want Jesus to be the God that they have formed. They want him to do the things they want him to do. And they ignore what it is he's saying. And friends, we're not so different today. You hear the way people talk about God and talk about Jesus. It's not what we find in the Scripture. It's a God of their own devices. It's a Jesus of their own making. And all the while, we have the truth of Scripture being proclaimed. We need to listen. And we need to understand. And so that brings us to our passage this morning where we come to this first verse and we see Mary Magdalene and we know from the other gospel accounts other women are with her and she comes there to the tomb and the stone has been rolled away and she doesn't understand what's taking place and we'll see that the disciples they they don't understand either even though Jesus had said this was going to happen and so as we begin we need to understand well why why did Jesus have to die in the first place. I mean, the Scripture is clear. When we walk through the Gospel, Romans 3.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death, that as a result of our sin, we deserve death. Or excuse me, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And then in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But then we see in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so you put those together and you see, well, we've all sinned, And we all deserve death for our sin, but Jesus died in our place. He died as our substitution. Now, I've shared the gospel a lot of times with a lot of people. And when I share the gospel, I'll often go through those verses, and I'll just work them. Okay, uh, we've all sinned, and the result of our sin is death. We deserve uh, the wrath of God for our sin. And Jesus, he died in our place. He took God's wrath on our behalf. And then I will ask the person I'm sharing with, now in your own words, tell me, why did Jesus die? And more often than not, the answer is, well, I guess just, you know, Because God really loves us. Now, the scripture is very clear. God does love us. And we can draw a a direct line from God's love to the cross and to the resurrection. But Jesus' death specifically was in our place because God, who is loving, is a just God. God did not overlook our sin to save us. 
God put His Son on the cross to take the penalty for our sin to save us. And that is why Jesus died. Because God is just. And friends, every one of us deep down, we, we, we know what justice is and what justice is not. And we long to see justice served. And some of you remember back in 1995, for pretty much the entire year, that was the O.J. Simpson trial. And if you were uh, around during that time, and if you remember, it was a cultural phenomenon because it was kind of the, the first time in our nation's history where you had this, this event just televised, and people would set their VCRs, and if you don't know what a VCR is, ask somebody like me who's losing their hair, and we'll tell you what they are, but... They'd set their VCRs, they'd record these, program, these, uh, these trials, and they'd watch them at night. And then that was the, the conversation at work the next day. And this was preoccupying so many people. It took place for the majority of the year. And if you remember all of that, then you likely remember what happened in the O.J. Simpson trial. That all this evidence that was laid out, that anyone with common sense could watch it and say, yeah, he's guilty. And then the day comes when they announce the verdict and they say, not guilty. Now, I don't know anybody who, when that happened, went outside and had a celebration and had a party and said, well, that's just and that's right. But I know a lot of people that in conversations would say, man, that, that there's something about that just wasn't right. So you see, we want justice. We, we want the guilty punished. Unless we're the guilty. <laughs> and what we see in the gospel is the fundamental truth that God is a just God and the guilty will not go unpunished. So God does not look at us on trial and see all of our guilt and all of the evidence and at the end of all of it say, well, you know what? I'm just going to let you get off on this one. I'm just going to declare you not guilty and it's all fine. That, that's not what biblical justification is. No, God looks on us and sees the full weight and the fullness of our sin. And He places the consequence of that, the wrath that is deserved for that, on Jesus, on the cross, and He dies in our place. The only reason God can look to us sinners and declare us not guilty is because the weight of our sin was put on Jesus. Yes, God loves us. God is a just God. And we see His justice in the death of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, For I deliver to you as of first importance. Paul says, don't miss this one. This is foundational. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Why did Jesus die? Because we have sinned and He died for our sin. 1 Peter 2.24 He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. Don't miss that. That's foundational. Don't miss that. Jesus died for our sins. We need to understand that. Point two. We need to understand why the tomb of Jesus then was empty. So it's not enough just to understand why He died. We need to understand why He rose. 
Jesus spoke about his resurrection, and yet we come to John 20, and we see they they still didn't understand. And so we pick up here in verse 2, Mary and the others see the stone rolled away, and they assume someone has taken the body, and that's a logical assumption. If you leave church today, and you ride up the road and pass either cemeteries that you'll pass this way, or you go towards chapel and pass the cemetery that way, or if you walk out the back of the church and look at the cemetery behind our church, and you look around and you notice by one of the headstones that all the, the ground has been unearthed and that there's a, a vault there and the top's off of it, and beside that's a casket and the top's off of that, and of course, curiosity, you kind of walk over there and you peek inside it, and it's empty. What's your assumption? Your assumption would be something's happened here. Somebody took this body. Mary and the others, they come to the tomb. The the stones rolled away. They walk in and, and their immediate thought is someone has taken the body of Jesus. They're not thinking about what Jesus said. They're not remembering his words. They're just looking at this, and, and they're leaning on logic and say, well, somebody took his body. So immediately, Mary and others, they run to Peter and John, and then Peter and John go to the tomb. Now, you need to understand the context here. We, we know in the Scriptures that, that uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they had taken the body, and they had prepared the body of Jesus and in this culture, in this context, this, this preparation was not just they would lay a body in a tomb. No, they would wrap this body over and over again. They would adorn this body and lay over it spices, about 75 pounds of spices. And what they would do is that the body would decompose, and then they would later take those bones, and they would put them in a different part of the tomb. And so we see here, when Mary looks in, and we see here when the disciples look in, this very peculiar sight. If somebody were to take the body of Jesus, they would have had to take all that other stuff with them, at least all the stuff he was wrapped in. But notice what we see. The linen closure just lying there. The face cloth is neatly folded up. I mean, the, the clear picture here is that nobody took the body of Jesus. Jesus had been raised as he said he would be. But they, they didn't understand. Now it is interesting. Remember this is, this is John's gospel that he writes under the inspiration of the Spirit. But we see his personality come out in it. He says that he believed at this point. <laughs> but that nobody else did. Now I don't know if John fully understood and believed at this point. Because there's a, there's a little bit of self-promotion. If you just kind of read through this passage again. And think about what John says of himself. Verse 2. The one whom Jesus loved. Verse 4, uh, he's the other disciple who incidentally, well, he outran Peter. He got to the tomb first. He then mentions that again later. Verse 8, then the other disciple who reached the tomb first. So John here is kind of speaking himself after the fact. Saying, well, yeah, of course, I understood the things at that point. And I don't know that he fully did, but it's clear here that the other disciples, they didn't. Jesus said he would be crucified buried, and be resurrected. It all takes place, as Jesus said, and yet the people that were closest to him missed it. And I can't help but wonder if some of us this morning haven't been missing it as well. I mean, we see it throughout the Scripture. We see this, that this picture 
and redemptive history. We, we go over this all the time. Each Lord's Day, as I'm preaching through First and Second Samuel, if I'm preaching through Genesis and Exodus, if I'm preaching through the book of Acts, how, how often do I go back and we just tell the story of creation and how God creates there this, this sanctuary, this paradise in the garden, and He places Adam and Eve in there, and there's, there's this perfect sinlessness, and yet then they, they disobey God and they sin, and the consequence of the sin is grave and and now death enters the picture. That the wages of sin is, is death. And God gives this promise in Genesis 3.15 that a redeemer is going to come and going to crush the head of the enemy. But I, I don't know that Adam and Eve fully understand that at the time. And generations would come and go and they'd be looking towards the Messiah. But we see how, how easily they would misunderstand. And yet here we are, this side of salvation history, we have the full counsel of God's Word so that we might not misunderstand. I mean, the writer of Hebrews says it clearly in Hebrews chapter 2. He says, Jesus, through death, He might destroy the one who has power over death, that is, the devil. He's referring here directly to the fulfillment of what God said would happen in Genesis 3.15. He said, Jesus is the one who has destroyed the power of death. He's destroyed the devil. He's crushed his head. And how does he do that? Well, he does that through the resurrection. See, if Christ is not resurrected, then friends, we, we have no hope. So we read in 1 Corinthians 15, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if in Christ we have hope in this life only. We are of all people to be most pitied. And you'll hear people make the argument all the time, well, maybe, maybe the gospel is not true and, and maybe all these things aren't right, but at least if you live this way, you'll live a good moral life. And the Scriptures say, no! No, if this isn't true, if Jesus hasn't been raised, then, then we are to be the most pitied. Woe to us! Paul goes on to say, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Jesus did what he said he would do. The, the enemy has been dealt with and therefore you and I have complete security of a future glory that is to come. It's not just the blessing in this life, it's the blessing of what is to come and it is guaranteed because Christ has indeed raised from the dead. It's the glorious truth that we celebrate. We we're going to celebrate it in the next service as we celebrate these baptisms. When I baptize folks, I'll say to them, you're buried with Christ in baptism and you're raised to walk in a new life with Him. There's that picture of the resurrection in baptism. And not just that you're raised to walk in a new life with Him, but the reminder that one day we will experience the resurrection and we too will be raised just as He has been raised. We, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together with this little thimble half full of juice and styrofoam bread in it. <laughs> this should leave you wanting for something more. There's an intention there, though. Because it's a reminder to us of what is to come. We're looking back, but we're looking ahead. And because the tomb is empty, because Jesus was raised, we have the guarantee that we're going to dine with him one day and friends i don't know all the details of heaven but i'm going to go ahead and go on record and guarantee this this isn't going to be there you're not going to be in heaven 
just fumbling around trying to peel off this plastic. Now the scripture says we're going to have a feast in heaven. We're, we're going to be at the Lord's table with Him. We're going to dine with Him and He with us. There's this picture of perfect fellowship with Christ. And He's Lord and we will worship. And it's secured, it's guaranteed by what this cup represents. By the body and the blood of Jesus. Don't miss that. We need to understand why Jesus died, but we also need to understand why the tomb was empty. And third, we need to understand how to respond. We need to understand how to respond to the death and resurrection of Jesus. So again, we pick up here in verse 9. John says that he believes, even though we're not sure exactly what he fully understands at this point, but he makes it clear that the other disciples, they don't understand. And then... What I find very interesting in verse 10 is that they, they went back to their homes. I'm not sure exactly how to read verse 10. I mean, do we read verse 10 as, and then they went back to their homes to tell everybody about what they saw. You know, they couldn't wait to get home and tell them what had happened. I mean, you think about if you've ever picked up kids, grandkids from school, and they're just ready to tell you about their day, get ready. <laughs> I've got three daughters, and I've heard a lot of stuff in that car. A hundred miles, wow, did this happen, this happen, this happen? Is that the disciples here? They, they just couldn't wait to get back and tell everybody about what they saw and about what happened? Or, well, you know, then the disciples, they, you know, they just, yeah, you know, they, they just, yeah, they, you know, they went back to their homes, nothing. Hey, what'd you guys do yesterday? Well, you know, we these women, you know, they just said something about you. We, we went and looked at this tomb, and it was empty, and we're not really sure what's going on. We just came home. Now, the Greek translation says they departed and returned to where they were before. <laughs> I'm not sure that that helps us understand it. But considering John's note here that they didn't understand the scriptures. I think the indication here is they, they didn't understand that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And I think likely what this means is that they were probably confused a bit, didn't really understand what was taking place, but they certainly did not go home excited to tell people about the good news of the resurrection of Jesus because they didn't understand it. But all that would change. And you may remember at the end of Luke's gospel, after these events take place on the road to Emmaus, there's, there's these men and someone that they can't quite make out who it is comes along beside them and it, it's Jesus and he's not revealed to them that it, that it is him. And he just starts explaining all this stuff that they didn't understand. Now I often think about, you know, if I, if I could just drop myself in at any point in biblical history, that, that would be a good time to be dropped in, you know, to hear Jesus explain the scriptures. Luke 24, verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So he starts explaining to them as the resurrected Christ, here's how all this 
pointed to me. Here's a complete understanding. Then not long after that, he's with the disciples, verse 45, and he says, he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And we know at that point then they they did understand. But up until then, they, they didn't quite get it. They walked from an empty tomb and they just went home. And even though we have the full counsel of Scripture this morning, and we have the, 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 the fullness of Scripture here, and we can walk back through the Scripture, and we can see how all these things point to Jesus, I fear that many of us leave this place, and we simply go home. And not excited to tell other people about what we learned. How, how was church today? Well, you know, he talked for a while. It's decorated for Easter. I saw so-and-so. Man, how about that game last night? <laughs> but so often, we, we don't go home marveling or excited about the gospel. And sadly, so often we go home and our lives aren't changed by the gospel. I mean, ask yourself today, has your life been changed by the gospel? And if you ask the question, well, how, how do you know? How, how do you see this, the Scripture tells us there's very tangible evidence of a life that's been changed by the gospel. Look, for example, in Galatians 5. I'll read this for us. Now, notice the picture we have here of the life that's been transformed by the gospel, the life that has been transformed simply by the world, and this conformed to it. Paul talks here to the Galatians about the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit. It says the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul gives us a checklist of sorts here and says, which of these categorizes you? Which of these is evident in your life? One of these comes through repentance and faith. The other one comes from simply just going home and not responding. So my hope and prayer for us today is that we wouldn't simply go home, but that we would understand and celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we do that every time we come to this table together where we celebrate His death, that we're no longer subjected to the desires of the flesh. We don't have to live that way anymore. We are seeing this process in our life, and it's not a perfect one, but if we've trusted in Jesus, if we've repented, where we're putting these things to death, where we're becoming more and more like Jesus in our day-to-day lives. And for many of us, that's, that's three steps forward and two steps back. 
But, it, but it's a progressive process where we're trusting in Christ. And when we come to the Lord's table, we're, we're reminded of that. That we're able to do these things because of the death of Jesus and because of the resurrection of Jesus. Because he raises us to walk in a new life. And so friends, hear me. I say this often, but I want to say it again. We, we don't come to the Lord's table because we are perfect. We come to the Lord's table because Jesus is perfect. Because our debt's been paid in full. And because through the gospel of Jesus, we're, we're covered in the righteousness of Christ. And we need that reminder often. And that's what the Lord's Supper is for us, among many other things. It's a reminder to us of what Christ has done through His death and resurrection. And so we want to take a moment this morning to be reminded. Before we do that, I want to turn to 1 Corinthians. 11, it's a passage that we often come to when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's where Paul recounts what he was taught. It's, it's the words that we read when we receive the Lord's Supper together. But there's a passage I want to make sure we consider before we take this bread and cup. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28, Let a person examine himself then. And so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. What is he saying here? He's saying don't take this lightly. Again, Paul's not saying you can only take the cup and the bread if, if in this moment you are perfect. No, he's saying you take the cup and the bread because you're trusting in a perfect Jesus. But it's a warning. Don't take this cup and this bread today if you are unwilling to repent and turn from your sin. If you are living in rebellion to the Word of God today, if God has made clear to you that which is sin in your life and your response has been, I will not relent. Then He says, don't, don't take it. Why you're, you're heaping judgment on yourself. Why? Because you are, you're making a mockery of the gospel of Jesus. So, so there's a serious moment here where when we take this cup and this bread, we, we take it being reminded of the glory of the gospel and what Jesus has accomplished, and we're trusting in Him. And so the invitation is to trust and to hope, to confess and to repent and to have faith in the perfect, perfect Christ who has died for us. And so we're going to respond now to God's word by taking this bread and this cup together. And so if you'll go ahead and take one of these, if you don't already have them, and we'll start by peeling back that top piece of plastic and taking the bread. And this is what we read in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we're going to 
respond to God's word by doing two things before we receive this bread. We're going we're gonna to thank him, and we're going to remember. Remember the gospel. Remember that Jesus indeed died in our place. Remember that every time you think, well, I'm not good enough, and I need to just try harder to earn God's merit. Know that it's not by works we are saved. It's by grace. It's a free gift of God. We remember when we take this bread that Jesus paid it all. And all to Him we are. So let's take a moment now and thank God for this bread as we prepare to receive it together. Father, I thank You for the Gospel. I thank You for the reminder this morning from John 20 that it's, it's very easy for us to miss this. It's very easy for us to to walk away from sermons, to walk away from Bible study and Sunday school, to walk away from times of devotion in your word. It's easy for us to walk away and to to miss what you are saying. Help us not to do that, Lord. Help us to see and understand the the gospel of Jesus. That the, the wages of our sin is indeed death, but Christ died for us. Remind us of that, Lord, as often as we take this bread together. We thank you, God, for the gospel. We thank you for Jesus. And we thank you that we can celebrate the resurrection today by receiving this bread together. And so we receive it now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Paul goes on to write in the same way. Also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for this cup. This cup that's a reminder to us of the the blood of the new covenant, that we are washed and cleansed and covered by the blood of Jesus. So, Lord, as we thankfully receive this cup now, help us to look towards the day when we will receive a cup and a new heaven and a new earth, not in a little plastic thimble that we struggle to take the top off of, but, Lord, at the banquet table with Christ. Help us to look to that day and long for it as we receive this cup now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father, we thank you for this day and for this reminder to us of the gospel. And we pray, God, that we would be a people who would share of this gospel reminder with others at every opportunity we have. Lord, as we come into this Passion Week, as we come to Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, help us, Lord, to to talk to others about our faith, about the gospel, to invite them to come and worship with us, that they too might have the hope that we have within us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, if you would stand together as we conclude our time with worship this morning. Uh, Just on a little housekeeping note, if you don't mind to take this, there's some trash cans at the exits, and just uh, throw these away as you leave this morning. Uh, Again, we invite you to be with us tonight at our members' meeting at 6.30. But for now, uh, let's lift our voices once more, and let's be reminded of this truth that we celebrate.
that Jesus indeed paid it all.